0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
1: Hi, everybody. It's kind of all home week this week. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. It's Wednesday night and it's time for Friends in Fiction. It's our our favorite night of the week and we hope it is for you too.
2: I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel.
1: And this is Friends and Fiction for New York Times best-selling authors. Endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight we're wel- we're welcoming back one of our faves, Pam Jonoff, to talk about our newest work of World War II historical fiction, Codename Sapphire. Remember that, y'all. You're going to want to get it. Settle in, grab your drink of choice or even a bowl of popcorn and get ready for a great night.
3: That's right. We are here to bring you incredible authors, hot reads, and fascinating interviews, all while supporting independent booksellers. I like that. Patty, did you write that? (laughs) (laughs) one way you can help us support indies is to buy from them when and where you can as we always encourage you to do you can visit our own friends and fiction bookshop.org page where you can find pam's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount
2: And, you know, we don't just interview authors here on Wednesday Nights Live, as you're going to be seeing tonight. We also, of course, have a book club on a separate Facebook page called the Friends in Fiction Official Book Club with Brenda and Lisa. And we, of course, have our Writer's Block podcast that drops every Friday. On our Facebook page, we will always post a link to the newest episode, or you can find it on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher.
4: For our most recent podcast episode, Ron and I were privileged enough to talk to Kara Roda about The Widow, which is a thriller set in the depths of DC mm-hmm. politics. And she was a uh, um, congressman's wife, so she has some inside scoop. And coming up this Friday, Ron and Christy are talking to Natasha Lester, straight from Australia about her newest, The Three Lives of Alex St. Pierre. So listen, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. They are really fun to listen to. And tonight, near the end, we have a special announcement about an exclusive pre-order package for The Secret Book of Lee. so be
1: sure to stick around to hear about it. And we've got a fun after show planned for tonight, too. You're going to want to have your pencil and paper ready. Yeah. So write down all the stuff we're going to tell you about. So be sure to stay with us right until the end. Ron and Meg will be joining us, too. You know you want to be in on that. (laughs) We will highlight some deserving books we want you to know about. Some upcoming podcast guests we're excited about. And a (laughs) food. My mouth is not working right. And a few movie TV adaptations we're enjoying or looking forward to. Okay, enough about me stumbling over my own words. Let's introduce (laughs) Pam.
3: Pam is the New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen novels, including The Orphan's Tell, which is MKA's personal favorite of Pam's novels. We'll have you Uh know. The Woman with the Blue Star and The Lost Girls of Paris.
4: Booklist said that one of Pam's earlier novels, they say this about it off ably plums the concepts of courage, faith, and love against a dramatic back- backdrop. But we promise that's not true of just one book. It's true of all her fiction,
2: especially Code Name Sapphire. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I've been reading her for years. I would totally agree. So Pam holds a degree in international affairs from George Washington university, a degree in history from Cambridge and a law degree from UPenn. So she's just your, you know, usual run of the mill slacker. She's just, she's, I know, I know. Pick up the pace, Pam. Yep. Average her novels, Joe. <laughs> her novels are inspired by her experience working at the Pentagon and as a diplomat for the state, State Department, handling Holocaust issues in Poland. Pam teaches at Rutgers Law School, and she lives outside Philadelphia with her husband, three children, and a varied menagerie. Her <laughs> new novel, her new novel, Codename Sapphire, for which Patty and I were both thrilled to provide blurbs, is set to be released on February
1: 7th. Sean, can you bring Pam on? Hello. Oh, here you are, hey, Pam? oh Uh-oh. Well, we are so thrilled to have you back with us, Pam. Your brand new novel features cousins Hannah and Lily, whose lives in Berlin for Hannah and Lily in Brussels are tragically upended by World War II and the looming specter of Nazi atrocities against Jews. Tell us more, please.
5: So in my book, um, it starts with Hannah and Hannah is a German Jewish woman. She was a political activist and she needed to get out of occupied Europe. And so she set sail on a ship that was bound from North America. And that ship was tragically turned away from both Cuba and the United States. And so she was forced to come back to Europe and she found herself landing in Brussels where her cousin Lily lives. And Hannah and Lily haven't seen each other for years and years. They were friends as children, but they haven't seen each other in the intervening time period. But of course, Lily takes in Hannah into her home where Lily lives with her husband and young son. Hannah is very grateful, but she still wants to get out of Europe. And so She connects with a woman named Micheline, and Micheline is the head of what is known as the Sapphire Line. It's an underground organization that is engaged in the work of getting downed allied airmen out of occupied Europe. And Micheline and Hannah strike up this deal. Hannah agrees to work for the Sapphire Network, and in exchange, Micheline says she will help Hannah get out of Europe for good. But Hannah becomes involved too deeply in the work of the resistance organization and a mishap and a case of mistaken identity result in Lily and her family being arrested they are slated for deportation to Auschwitz and Hannah knows she has to rescue them. And so when um, they are set on a train bound east for the concentration camp, Hannah and her uh, cohorts from the resistance organization undertake a daring rescue attempt to free Lily and her family from the train.
4: That is just like such a succinct um, I know, summary. <laughs> I, you know, I read it and loved it. And, and I... I that would have taken me half an hour to, to, <laughs> to do. So good on you. But I have to tell you, that opening scene when the ship comes in and they turn them away, it is like you put yourself in her place just being on that ship. It's, it's stunning. So you have enlightened so many readers about the incredible courage of women who face impossible challenges during World War II. How do you choose which real life characters you'll fictionalize? How do you, what nugget brought you, especially to the 23-year-old Michelin in Codename Sapphire? What attracted you to her and to this story in general? So
5: those are great questions. I have to
4: tease them out. But when I,
5: I don't write, I don't view myself as writing about real people because although I lived among the survivors for several years, I'm I'm never comfortable that those are quite my stories to tell. And so I'm always trying to get a little bit of distance in my fiction. And so I find a nugget of history that I'm inspired by. And then I kind of world build around that. And in this case, let me back up. When I'm looking for that idea, because I think we all have to look for them I'm looking for what I call the gasp, because if I can find a piece like of that. history that's so untold that it makes me gasp after all of these years, I'm hopeful that readers will feel the same way. And so in this, the case of this book, the gasp was learning about the real life train that was headed from Belgium wow. to Auschwitz and the people that broke into this train. And after that gasp, I'm looking for the questions. I want to know, how were these people brave enough to attempt this? And at the same time, why hadn't other people tried to do this elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And so that's the jumping off point for me when I start to build the world. And you mm-hmm. asked specifically about Michelin. And so, you know, the real train was set in Brussels and I've never worked with Belgium before in my writing. And as soon as you get into Belgium, you can't Help, but learn about these escape lines—the real-life yeah. escape lines that help the 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 airmen and others just get out at such great cost. And the real lines were not called. There, there was no real Sapphire Line. The real lines were called. The Comet Line and Dutch Paris, and there were several of them. Um, but when you start reading about these, you're amazed by the courage of the people, including the women. And in particular, there was a young woman named Andre, who was the head of the real life Comet Line, and she served as inspiration for my character,
4: Michelin. Uh, I was wondering if it was a real person named, you know, Michelin, or if there was. I like that you pick a nugget and then build the world around it because when the scene came up about the train, I had to stop and see if that was a real thing because it was so astounding, not only the bravery, but what, you, like you said, why weren't more people doing it? Yeah, the
5: um the real train is called the twentieth train. And there's actually okay. a really good nonfiction book about it. And as I was writing this, I had mentioned this project on on some sort of Zoom. I was contacted by two sisters whose parents were on the twentieth train. <gasps> No! Oh, wow. wow! Oh, I just it's got like chills like afterward, him. but I actually heard from them, which was simply amazing. Oh my
3: gosh!
5: Oh. that is just—it's incredible how
3: things like that happen. I yes. mean, when you when you start putting it out there, and the things that come back to you, it's just like really magic. Um, yes, yeah. So, speaking of magic, um, this book. And that isn't really a good segue. It's not really speaking of magic,
4: but (laughs) (laughs) it's about... Improbable. It's speaking about improbable. It's
3: magic, right? It's close. This book is really about improbable journeys, it seems. So we have this exodus, first Hannah's trip to Havana to seek asylum in the U.S., her trips in and out of the prison camp where Lily and her family are being held, and then finally, Hannah's final flight, or is it final? We've talked to so many authors who tell us how the books that they've written have changed their personal journey in some way. So
5: did this book change you in any way? Each book, you know, it's funny. Um, I love your theory, your theme of, of journeys because I am not the person who sets out with theme, you know? So I'll work on a book and people go, well, isn't this book really about?" And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. But you know, I'm not that conscious that I ever think of it ahead of time. So I'm going to borrow that, Christy, and I'm going to use that on the road. Of it <laughs> so all of my books change me. And it's interesting, right? Because our books happen alongside our lives. I don't know if you feel this way, oh, but- yeah. There's the book I wrote when I had baby twins and I had three children under the age of two. And there's the book I wrote when my dad died. And there is the COVID book, you know, and this for me is the post COVID book. And I know we're still in the pandemic. I'm not taking away from that, but the woman with the blue star was very much written during the pandemic. And this book was as we came out of it, but we've still been dealing with so much division in our lives. And for me, what really changed me about this book is realizing that I write about these women in many books who through normal history, they would have had their feet on a very set path. And then the war happens and they're thrown off that path and they're tested and they're challenged. Yeah. And they meet women and people who they never would have met from very different walks of life, You know, Hannah, Micheline, and Lily. And what I really realized from this is that if we can look at these women in the book and empathize with the way they transcend their differences to work together, it makes our own lives feel sort of less othered and less divisive. And that was really what came to me in writing this particular book.
3: I love that. What a great message, too. And like you said, so timely. I mean, I think that's what's so interesting about reading historical fiction is you know, I was you can pick up this book and you can read it and it's about, you know, this very different time period. But you take away all these great little nuggets that are so applicable to our lives yeah. right now and really it can be a roadmap for helping us, you know, move forward in a better way. OK, so, Pam, do you in any way, shape or form see yourself possibly writing a sequel to Codename Sapphire?
5: Ooh, I haven't thought about that. So I have written sequels before. Like Commandant's Girl, Diplomat's Wife was the sequel. I've also written prequels because it had a prequel. I have a love-hate relationship with sequels. I don't know how you feel about them. Because it's really fun to show what comes afterward. You're stuck with a lot of history. And so if in that first book someone wore like real thick glasses – and they wake up in a prison in the second book. You better find them some glasses. Not going anywhere. Yeah. So I find I have a love-hate relationship yeah. with people, So I have certainly not contemplated it for this book. So I don't want to give anything away, but you and I should talk later about what you think I should <laughs> do
2: with that.
1: <laughs> uh, I just found, you know, the end of the book, and I don't want any spoilers either because I want everybody to, my gosh, go get that book. Um, it did seem to me that maybe Hannah had more to tell.
5: I love that. I love that. I will get to work. I mean, I'm working on something, but I will get to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> You're you say, right, I write.
2: Um, okay, <laughs> now,
1: now talking about um, Hannah, I am just fascinated by the contrast between these two vividly realized main characters who are cousins. You give us Hannah She's an accomplished artist whose role in the resistance has been as an anti-fascist cartoonist, and she's experienced firsthand the brutality of the Nazi raids on the Jewish quarter of Berlin. And then you give us Lily, her elegant cousin, a doctor's wife, a mom who's living in upper class comfort in Brussels, and she stubbornly clings to her belief that it can't happen here. And oh my gosh, did you strike a chord with me every time Lily kept saying it can't happen here. So how did these two women come to be?
5: It's interesting. You know, I don't know about your writing process. I'm a pantser. So, something like I write by the seat of my pants. So, sometimes I have to look back and go, how did it start? You know, because I don't really <laughs> remember the beginning. I just threw some words down on a page. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: not some words. Like,
5: what's so interesting to me about Hannah and Lily is they were close as children. Like their families vacation together. They were like sisters. And at some point, their paths diverged. And so, Hannah was in Germany and she's this political activist. And Lily is very refined and she has moved to Belgium. Right. Um, She her family originally, I think, moved to Antwerp and then she came to Brussels when she got married. And she's had this really elegant uh, existence and really sheltered life, even as an adult. And so what was fascinating to me in the history that kind of inspired this is I had never read about Belgium before. And the Germans didn't sort of initially steamroll over Brussels. They kind of came in with this pretense of what they called the good occupier like we're here but it's good not, occupiers The good occupiers we're here but it's not going to be all that bad for you native belgian folk you know and so lily was sort of buying into this like i'm a belgian citizen and you know sort of of a, of a more affluent class and you know this may affect people and first it affects the the people who are immigrants or maybe don't have mm-hmm. citizen status and it comes closer and closer and that's what i wanted to explore and hannah shows up and she's like hey it's affecting everybody like pay attention. And this is such an important message for our lives today because whatever is going on, you know, the, it's closer than you think you have to pay attention.
2: Yeah, that is so true. Now, Pam, everyone in the novel has such hard choices to make, but it, it seems to me that the gut wrenching choices that Lily and Hannah have to make in terms of things like loyalty to their family, loyalty to country, things like that are the hardest. And and I mean, I think we can imagine ourselves um, in, uh, in their shoes and faced with those decisions. Are those emotional, especially in light of the fact that you just said that you're a pantser, are those emotional choices that you have to make when you're writing those characters? Like, are you on the emotional journey with those characters, making those decisions, wrestling with those choices? And did any of those choices surprise you?
5: I am on the path with them.
2: And I should say a little bit
5: about where that sort of compulsion comes from for me. Um, You know, I went to Poland more than 25 years ago, and I was living over there. And I had a very modern life, but there were times that you would hear an old world siren or you would see a crowd. And it was a very visceral reaction that just kind of hurled me back, you know, in time. And it made me always wonder what I would have done in the circumstances if I had been there in the war, because I am. Not a brave human. Um, and so, you know, I thought Dorothy should have stayed in Oz. It was easier than coming back. <laughs> and so, I'm really not brave. And so I was wondering, I would not have helped the Germans, but I don't know if I would have been so brave, especially now that I have children. You know, I could have yeah. hidden in my basement for five years. And so, in all of my writing, I want the readers to say, what would I have done in those circumstances? And it's just so important to me because history is not made up of big wars and battles. It's made up of an infinite number of individual choices. And so that's what I live with the characters is there's no, there's no they in history, you know, like, like there's no, we can't say what did that group of people do because that group was individuals. So that's what I care about.
2: Pam, you've been writing about these topics for, for years now. And it's interesting that you say that about, um, you know, looking back and thinking what you would have done. Have you come closer to that answer as, as the years have gone by, as you've explored this again and again, have you, has it forced you to think about things or or made you really consider, um, what you would have done? Has it changed anything about your life now or, or the way you react to things? So,
5: you know, it's interesting. It's, it's like a push pull because on one hand, I think I'm angrier these days, not angry in a bad way, but I mean like, you know, whether it's politics or whether it's whatever I believe in, I feel more strongly. I don't know if anyone else feels that as they get older, right? And, um, I have kids now, which I didn't have when I lived in Poland. I didn't have when I started writing. And on Uh, one hand, that makes you more, a little more fearful, right? A little more cautious and protective, but it also makes you stronger, Right, yeah. and in your decisions, and in standing up for the kind of world that we want our children to live in, and so yeah. I think ever so subtly, not with great grand gestures, but ever so ever so subtly, I've gone in the direction of the bravery. Um, yeah. I've not been tested the way that Hannah and Lily and Micheline were. Um, but you see these women, and you say, "How can they make these choices when they have a family?" Or you know, "How can they do this?" Yeah. And the other side is like, "How can they not?"
2: Yes, good points. Yeah. Point. yeah.
4: I think almost any time we read these choices where women have to make choices between family, country, loyalty, we can't help but think, what would I do? Our lives are so far. I mean, I've never been to Poland, but our lives are so far removed from this. But when we read a book like yours, we are so in it. I am in that apartment. I am on that ship. I am on that train. Like, what would I do?
1: So. Yeah. Thank you. I'm in the pastry shop. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm in the pub. Um, like, do you want to take some live questions, Mary Kay? Yeah. Go, yeah. Go for um, it. Yeah. Let's let's ask some live questions. Patty, do you want to go first? Yeah.
4: So two people are asking the same question, so I'm going to grab those. Both Michelle Marcus and Francine McDermott Katzen are asking you, so it's a pressing question. What are you reading now?
5: <laughs> well, I just got a very excellent advanced copy of The Secret Life of Flora Lee. So for oh, sure. Did I, you. You. I, uh, did I did not plant that did, question. I one of those. I'm very, very excited about that one. Um, I just feel, of course, you're going to test my memory when I'm so tired. Um, I just finished up a couple thrillers. I'm not, I can't remember what they were. Um, I read, um, I, I love Mary Kubica's Just the Nicest Couple, which came out um, oh, nice. in historical fiction. I'm very excited about Lynn Collins, The Woman with the Cure coming up. Yeah. And um, I I'm really love have her
1: it. on the show in a couple weeks. Yeah. Oh,
5: amazing. I love her. Yeah. I love the book. It's so timely. And then someone said, can I recommend something? I think in light of uh, Black History Month, did I see that yeah. scroll down? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, recommend, I mean, I'm very excited to read House of Eve, which I have not gotten my hands on yet. But one book I loved last year are is We Are Not Like Them by Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. I want to make I'm sure gonna- I have that right. And that was set in Philadelphia, and it involved... A police shooting and two lifelong friends, um, one of whom is black, one of whom yeah. is white, and and it's a really a powerful story, very very timely.
4: So I recommend "We Are Not Like Them" by Joe Piazza and Christina Pry- Christine oh, Pride. Right. Meg just said that she loved that book, and mm-hmm. she and Ron Block actually interviewed her on our podcast. Them, yeah. So they they
1: got to talk about that book. Amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, let's see. What else have we got? Um, What? um, Oh, Christy, you pick a question.
3: Okay. Um, Frances Scott wants to know, what courses do you teach at Rutgers Law School?
5: Oh, I've been at Rutgers for 14 years, and I have a wide variety of courses, whether it's evidence, employment, professional responsibility, or legal writing. Right now, uh, legal writing. And what I love about that is I can take... What I do as a novelist, and I can bring it to my students. So we talk yeah. about jump-starting creativity. We talk about knowing yourself as a writer. I do those you know, free writing exercises as a pantser, which I really love. And yes, we tackle the difficult topic of revision. So mm-hmm. I love that I can bring all of that uh, to the classroom. And I can also say to my students, if you are scared to show me your work, go online and read all the cruddy things that people say about
4: my books. <laughs> <laughs> it real it's true <laughs> um, but, but it's not what they say about our books it's what they say about every
2: book right right that's yeah that's true yeah i i always before i was married i i always used to say like it gives me a much thicker skin for dating because like no guy could reject me as badly as like people have rejected some of my books right yeah. So, yeah. that's hilarious <laughs> it always prepared me for that I like that as if you've
1: ever been rejected. Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, there was lots of rejection before marriage. So
1: yes. no. <laughs> I've got a question. I've got one last. Well, not one last, but, you know, Pam, as an author who specializes in historical fiction, it must be intimidating at times. Once you get that nugget of an idea, how do you decide where your story starts? And then where does it end? <laughs> All that
4: information, right? Like this swath. Yeah, all the stuff. And we I
5: promise I will not try and answer these questions. But if you think about historical fiction and Kristen, I don't know or Patty, I don't know if you feel the same way as me. I think there's three real questions that we don't have time to talk about today. How do you write historic? How do you read, do the research, right? Mm-hmm. How do you weave in the research so that you don't get a big dump of history just because I think it's cool and stops the story? And how do you not screw up the research, right? These are like. My, <laughs> right? These are my big three I always want to know. Um but when I find an aha moment and I get the gasp and I get the questions, the very next thing I must ask myself is, can I do this respectfully? Because I lived among the survivors and I consider these books love songs to the people who I knew and the people who have lived through that era. And so I approach it with a kind of reverence and you know, if, if I can't do it respectfully, no matter how great an idea is, it goes no further. So that's always the starting point. Um, and, and then I just build out where outward from there. And as a pantser, it's really hard for me to say beginning and end. I'm very cinematic in how I think about it. So I have an opening scene usually with some sort of inciting incident. Right. And then I have a rough idea where I'm going to wind up. And in between it's just dark. And there's these few lighthouses, if you can imagine, like high moment scenes that I can see that kind of guide me along the way. Um, and that's as near as I can describe it at the mm. moment. Now, I want to give you a little confidential thing because I keep saying "panser, panser." <clears throat> I, last book, not Name Sapphire, but the woman before, the, the book before, The Woman with the
4: Blue Star, I turned in a total stinker of a book. I remember I- you telling us that. I have thought about that a couple of times, like, you have to rewrite the whole thing. Do not be me.
5: Um, Do not (laughs) And so uh, the reason I say this is because I do a rough outline now, like a very broad, bare bones outline before I start, because I never want to have to rewrite the whole book again. So I do pants my way through it, but I start with an opening scene. I get that closing scene. And then I do kind of write some chop in the middle just so that we have a common idea of where I'm going to go with it.
1: Yeah. Kids at home, uh, if you want to (laughs) <laughs> you know, I used to, I used to teach a little writing class at my kids' parochial school, and I would have them do a writing exercise. And my big tip to them was: as soon as you know how you're starting, try to figure out where your story ends. Yeah. Smart. Uh, well, cool. t- right. well, they say that Happy, um, we'll remind
3: um, right. you of that when you're
4: working on. Yeah. your <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. They say that Margaret Mitchell knew the last line of Gone with the Wind before she even started. I don't know if that's an urban myth or a legend, but do y'all know your endings when you're heading towards them?
1: I know where I want to be. I know where I want to end up. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, and I was just
3: kidding, Kathy, because, you know, your last couple books you've been like, I just, I, I can't, two more chapters and I'm going to end it. Two more chapters and I'm going to end it. Two more chapters and I'm going to end it.
1: <laughs> I know where I'm going. I just don't know how to get there. I'm in the forest and the lights yeah. are off and my car <laughs> is conking out. we forgot up. to bring First a battery thing, jumper. I always. have to pee. Always I have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my okay. goodness. Okay, we're going we're gonna to stop with that. Uh, <laughs> Analogy. <laughs> That's a little bit too much information you all didn't need. But Pam and all of you listening, we've got more to talk about with our fave girl. But we are taking a moment for a few quick announcements. Patty, you want to tell us about your pre-order gift? Yes, I can tell you really quickly. But I'm really excited
4: about this, y'all. I've been working on it for months, and I've been hinting at it. But if you pre-order The Secret Book of Flora Lee, I think Sean has a graphic, Um, There are two things you can get. One is a short story I wrote after I met the most enchanting 92-year-old woman outside of London in 1939. She was a child evacuee, just like my characters, Hazel and Flora Lee. And her story was so inspiring. And she lived in a pub before she was sent away, a real pub called the Live and Let Live. I just, So I wrote a short story about her and her little brother, and they cross paths with my fictional characters. And the second thing you get is a download of a photo travel journal of my weeks-long research trip in England. And I tell you about some of the amazing and synchronistic things. Pam, you were talking earlier about, about the train, the people who've been on the train contacting you. And I had so many things like that happen. We all do when we're deep in a book. Yeah. And so I um, made a travel journal with pictures of the very real landscape where the book happens. And you get those two things if you pre-order.
2: Awesome. So fun. fun. That's
3: exciting. That's can't Great, wait. Right? Yeah. Um, Now, you know, we don't just love talking about books, but we also love to write them. And so we want to remind you that all four of us do have new books out this year. We're so excited to share them with you. So if you want to be one of the first to get signed first editions, we have a Friends in Fiction first edition subscription which is available now from the indie bookstore Booktown in Manisquan, New Jersey, not too terribly far from Pam. Yeah. And this subscription features signed hardback first editions from each of us and a Friends and Fiction kitchen towel that says dinner can wait. It's time for Friends and Fiction. <laughs> you can order that from them right now at booktown.com. That's Booktown with an E at the end.
2: And, you know, we're not just here, we are out in the world too. So this year we already have five live in-person events planned and they are coming up. So you will always read about them in our newsletters and on our individual websites. But for a quick recap, we'll be in Columbus, Ohio on April 26th, then... A week later, we will be in Charleston, South Carolina at Buxton Books or in in partnership with Buxton Books on May 1st to celebrate the launch of Patty's novel, The Secret Book of Flora Lee. We will also be having a special appearance by one of your favorites, our Friends in Fiction co-founder, Mary Alice Monroe, um, at that date in Charleston. So the ticketing link is already live on the Buxton Books website. And I think... I know this because someone called me frantically today
3: and said, I somehow missed this and I have to have a VIP ticket. And they are and sold, out. sold out. So, wow. um, so if you want to get your ticket, there are not many left. So go ahead and do that. We will have three more live events after that one on June 6th in Huntsville, Alabama, for Kristen's launch of the Paris Daughter. Mm-hmm. One in July in Tampa, Florida, for my launch of the Summer of Songbirds. And that link I just heard will be up next week. So we'll let you know about that. And another in the fall for Mary Kay's launch of Bright Lights Big Christmas and we're to come on all of them. So make sure you're signed up for our Friends in Fiction newsletter and our individual newsletters. Can't hurt. So, so that you never miss a thing.
1: And speaking of never missing a thing, Pam, we know Codename Sapphire's release date is less than a week away. This coming Tuesday, February 7th. You want to fill us in on your events and where our viewers can find all the details? Uh,
5: certainly. So this is my first in-person tour in four years. I'm very Yay. excited to get on the oh. road. See reader great. friends and author friends. So I will be headed to Boston and Florida and North Carolina and South Carolina. Of course, my my New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, as well as um, several more virtual events after this. This is my big kickoff of virtual. Aww. So um, awesome. I have my website, pimgenoff.com, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and wherever you are hanging out. Um, you can find tour details there. And thank you for that.
4: So exciting. I hope Can
2: we all get, long get long to long.
1: cross paths. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I do too. Yeah. Okay, so, Pam. One last question for you. You've written from the perspective of some of some really powerful women. I want to ask you a question that's a bit of a twist on a New York Times book review question about dinner parties. If you were to have a dinner party with any of your characters from any of your books, which three would you invite to join you?
5: So I would ask these three from Codename Sapphire, Hannah, Micheline, and Lily, a few reasons for that. One, I just met them, right? So they're the <laughs> new gals on the block, and I want to hear their perspectives. And I'm curious about their interactions. And I love story. I've written from one, two, and three points of view, but I think of three as like the braid you know, with the, and it's not always an ABC. It's almost like those multiple choice tests you took in high school. Like sometimes it's A, B, B, C, depending on who needs to tell more stories. So I would like to sit down, but I don't really want to be part of the conversation. I want to sit back and listen to what they're saying. What are you going to serve? <laughs> you gotta ask my husband. He's downstairs. I have not made dinner since the first Obama administration. That's- oh my god, I'm so jealous. Sorry. So um we would have to either he's cooking or we're going out because I cannot <laughs> the, the only greater waste than me trying to cook is me trying to clean my house.
1: I'm with you. I, if oh, Mary so Kay is I, at the
4: dinner, she's going to ask Hannah if she needs a sequel.
5: Oh Just Yeah. Saying. Right, and I'm, yeah. I might not invite her. Then I'm a little scared of that
4: sequel.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you can come; I'll take my chances.
3: Well, Mary Kay told us earlier that we weren't allowed to come because that wasn't part
5: of the rules. So I think you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get something from the the pastry
4: shop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can have
4: us for dessert. Yes, that would be
1: lovely. Anytime. Yeah, those. I I mean, I kept thinking about the um, pastries that um, Lily was. Was promising, um, is it Georgie or Georgie? Georgie's great. Uh, Georgie. Yeah. And um, I was kept thinking about the pastries she was promising him when he was eating bread crusts. Yeah. And it broke my little heart.
5: Yeah. how awful is a mom, you know, not to be able to give your child, um, you know, what they need. It was really, really, really hard. And it was it really interesting to delve into to, friend, uh, to Belgian culture and Belgian cuisine and all of that, because I hadn't really known much about it. But then to realize they would have to do without was heartbreaking. Yeah,
1: yeah. definitely was. Okay. Well, that was, <laughs> that was a downer of a question to end. We're not ending yet, but we are kind of. So we're going to see everybody in a minute for the after show. Don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We're live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you don't, you won't miss a thing. Don't forget. I want to remind everybody. Sometimes we overlook the fact how important pre-orders are for the health of a book and its author. So even though Pam's book doesn't come out until next week get it now we pam we would be so grateful and pam would be so grateful if you would pre-order through bookshop.org you can do that right off our website Uh, You can look on Pam's website and find out where she's going to be. And I bet they're going to have some pre-signed books, aren't they, Pam?
5: They are. And my local indie actually has me personalize them and then mails them out as well.
1: And tell us what that local indie is. That's Inkwood
5: Books in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And I'm also, by the way, I'm headed to Booktown, which you all were talking about. And I'm Mm going to find, I want to see if I can order early your box set with the kitchen towel.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you back in a minute. Don't forget about all of our after, all of our back episodes on Facebook and you know YouTube too. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Stick around, and we will see you for a few minutes after the after show. Pam, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you, Pam. Thanks, Pam. Awesome. Good luck on the road. Good luck. Good Bye. Bye. Good night. Welcome back, everybody. Uh. You know, you make friends in this business. <laughs> and, you know, there are a lot of them you don't. I mean, I met Pam at a, um, I think at an ALA, American Library Association event. And sometimes you just you just click with the, I mean, not just sometimes, but lots of times. Yeah. Anyway, we loved having Pam. What a great night, right? Before we leave you tonight, we, you know, people always ask, what are we reading? What are we loving? And so um, let's do that. And by the way, in case I forgot, we've got our, um, well, what do we call Meg? Do we call her? Oh, she's our uh, managing, managing director. Managing she's our, our... <laughs> manage our managing med- 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 director. <laughs> <laughs> Megaging. Megaging director. Right. Title. Meg Walker, <laughs> live from Oceanport. Hello. From Jersey Shore. <laughs> and we've got Ron Block uh star, librarian the curator, curator hello, um, hello. Want... okay so let's let's talk about
6: what we're reading reading and loving let's talk about it i mean I, we came up with this idea for content for the after show tonight because we just we get pitched so many authors to come on the show and on the podcast and there's only so much room in the schedule and there's just so many deserving books out there always um And and there's some that each of us is dying to read personally, but for whatever reason, they may not be in our lineup. Um, So we wanted to have a chance to highlight a couple of those tonight.
7: Right. So we wanted to highlight for you tonight some books that are on our radar as readers and book lovers, the books that we think you should know about.
4: And y'all out there, the community. The best community on the internet, to be honest. Absolutely. Is filled. It really is. Try and find another group as wonderful really? as, as our community. It's true. And y'all are such prolific readers. So today's the first of the month. Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Right,
6: rabbit. And
4: right. yeah, Mary Kay, you always you always make me remember when it's the first of the month. And um, so everybody's been posting their books they read last month. And uh, you know, I'm on the Facebook page looking through them and I'm like what the what they read those books in January only so y'all are amazing prolific readers so you know that we have loads more that you're reading or adding to your to-be-read piles so chime in on the comments about any others that you think the friends and fiction world should be aware of and we're going to tell you some of ours
1: yeah um for me it's this thriller by Jordan Harper. Everybody knows. And it is getting huge buzz right now. And with good reason. It's a wildly propulsive thrill ride through the seamy underworld underworld of Hollywood black bag crisis management. I mean, the blurbs are from like Michael Conley, James Patterson, Dennis Lehane, S.A. Cosby. So, uh, I mean, I burned through it this weekend. And like, You've
6: already finished it? I
1: told you. Yeah, I burned through
4: it. Amazing. The cover, if you look at it closely, it's got that lady's eyes on the
1: top. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I I
4: didn't
1: notice that at first. I didn't spend that much time because as soon as I opened it, it was like...
4: (laughs) Okay. Adding it.
7: I can't wait. I have a copy of that, so I can't wait.
3: Well, I'm cheating and I have two because, well, this is sort of a funny story. So I said, oh my gosh, I just finished um, Hannah McKinnon's new book, which is The Darlings. Here's the cover. I just blurbed it. It's wonderful. It's out on Cape Cod and it's just this like just delicious family saga that you just can't help but get like super caught up in. And um, anyway, I loved it. Couldn't put it down. And I blurbed it. And Meg said... Oh, Hannah Mary McKinnon's new book. And then we were laughing because we were like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine how Same much person. they get confused? Um, but this is another book that I'm so excited about, The Revenge List, um, about a woman who is going to anger management. And part of the <laughs> process is literally making a revenge list. And I was like, <clears throat>
6: This Fantastic. is such a
3: good premise for a book. So, um, does, did we want to go around and talk about like people who would be on our? No. no.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> yes.
7: Uh, yes.
3: <laughs> no. Um, it's just it, it, these are two amazing books, two very different genres, two very different authors
2: happen to have a very similar name <laughs> That is so funny um the topic of revenge is a good segue into one of the books I wanted to mention which is called regrets only by Kieran Scott um this one is so good uh, I, I read uh, it's yeah a great it's a cover. great cover great title. Really yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it it is absolutely so um It's kind of this, uh, this collection of rich mom politics, social scheming, and there's this delicious murder mystery at the center of it all. So, um, it's just a lot of fun and it's, it's, it's like just a fast read. And one of those reads where you're like, like, cause there's just so many twists, like so many things happen. So I really liked regrets only and then completely different, but also amazing is times undoing by Cheryl a head. Which is about a young black journalist in the present day trying to solve the mystery of her great grandfather's murder in segregated Birmingham many decades ago. Oh, I so love that. it's that yeah, great. it's so good, it's so timely, and there's this modern day story that feels very modern and current. But then there's this just deep dig into all of this awful stuff that happened years ago that has in the city to be brought- I live in the in yeah. city you live in, but that <laughs> has to be brought to the surface in order to move forward. Sort of, it's just, it's, it's, it's just really good. And, um, it's just a really timely book to read right now. I really liked it. Awesome. Is it, I wonder,
4: I need to look it up. I wonder if the, the author is from Birmingham or has any connections yeah, to Birmingham. Because it's a Birmingham is a complicated history, man. Like, well,
2: you know, it, it's interesting because so much of it is about these families that existed in Birmingham then yeah. and that are still around now trying to protect these secrets. That, oh, of course. You know, oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, I loved it.
4: Um, okay, so I'm going to talk to you about a couple books. The first is The Dig, it is by a woman named Anne Burt, and it is about Sarajevo born siblings. And when they, a bomb goes off in Sarajevo and they end up moving to a Midwestern family in the 1990s. And she goes back when her brother is missing. And it's, it's this kind of race against the clock, fast moving book with um, Sarajevo as part of the backdrop. And I am obsessed with this book. Um, it is called the Whalebone theater and it's a thick one. It's a big one. So I've been reading it for a while on and off. I think twice I've put it on my, what is Patty reading on the newsletter? Um, Because, you know, I sometimes have to stop and catch up on reading for us or blurbs and go back to it, but it is, it was a Jenna pick. And it's in my favorite setting, the English countryside, from the seaside mm. to the country. And it's narrated by this charming girl in the beginning and then woman named Christabel Seagrave. And it it feels Mary Kay a lot like our one of our favorites, Kate Morton, mm-hmm. until it oh. until we get into World War II. It's really hard to summarize and impossible to put down. The language is really poetic and it is really immersive.
2: Awesome. Elle and the
4: author grew up where it's set in Dorset. So you can tell Um, that she knows every smell, taste, crash of the wave, clink of the pebbles down on the beach. It's, It's really amazing.
7: Oh, that you know, good. y'all. I just have to add something on in my house now. Another new room to put all these. I know, on.
6: right? Right?
2: <laughs> exactly.
6: <laughs> it's just Seriously. Oh, I'm up. I'm up. Um. So I have. Um. This is on my TBR pile. Demon Copperhead by um, <laughs> Barbara yeah. King solver Um, it's inspired by Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, but it takes place in modern day Appalachia, and there's. It's um, apparently, I haven't read it yet, but it's like dark and there's foster care and yeah. addiction, a lot of tough subjects, but I love stuff like that. Um, she's just a brilliant, brilliant writer, as you might know from the Wood Bible and and books she's written prior. Um, this was just announced as Oprah's next book club pick. It was named to New York Times list of 10 books, best books of the year for 2022. It's literally everywhere. You can't avoid it. I yeah. can't wait to read it. I stopped into my local indie over the weekend with my husband, he wanted to buy um, Rick Rubin's new, the music producer, Rick Rubin's new book on creativity. Oh and they didn't ha- Oh, you do. Oh, okay. So we can't wait to get it. They didn't have it, but they're ordering it. But while we were there, Karen, the store owner just was like, you can't leave here without this book on um, demon Copperhead, So <laughs> I bought it. Um, and then my next pick is literally, I, I think I just chose it for the cover because I, I love it. It's just like grabbing me right. And, the sweet spot. It is called "Really Good," actually, by that Monica. Cover. Oh, <laughs> this is I see, right? And I mean, <laughs> like, that cover is so perfect, right? And um, if you look on Instagram, people are doing. I can't. What do you call that, Christy? You probably. Yeah. Like They're the the Yes. Um. So it's supposed to be hilarious. The author is a comedian and an essayist, and she's also a screenwriter for television, and she's written for shows like, oh, I don't know, a little something called Shit's Creek. What's, so, that? what's
3: that? <laughs> I haven't watched it three times. <laughs>
6: I've <laughs> How watched it, be it be four, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so literally best cover ever. And so um, I pick a book by its cover for sure. I'm taking, I'm taking that <laughs> oh one. Absolutely. I love love that cover.
7: So I'm going to go completely the opposite with this pick. I am devouring How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. Uh, first, uh, his first uh, book that really got me was um, My Best Friend's Exorcism, which is now, I think, on Amazon Prime as a series are going to be soon. But in, this one, I I feel like he's like not matured, but like he's gotten deeper into his characters. But it's equally terrifying and heartfelt. It's about uh, a woman who loses her parents in an accident and her and her brother never got along. And she has to go back home to Charleston to kind of figure things out and, and settle the estate and things. However... Um, There's a lot of dolls. Her mother was a puppeteer and she collected creepy dolls. Creepy. Creepy dolls. Creepy (laughs) dolls. And and So if if those are not your thing, you might think about it. I mean, definitely going to sleep with one eye open after this and creepy dolls.
6: He he seems very funny, too. He, no, he, he is so
7: much humor in the book. It's um, it's it's the perfect timing too, because right when you're about to go like, ah, I can't, i know, mean, sleep with one eye open, then he throws in a, something that's really funny. So he kind of lets you off the. And he's
1: from off. Charleston, so he is. Oh, read yeah. it yeah, where, yeah. where he's from. Yeah. You know, there okay. is a um, there is a walking path in Atlanta. Not that I hike or walk, but it's got <laughs> creepy doll heads all through it.
6: Oh
7: no 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 no. Yeah, you okay. can people I mean,
1: just like make these little vignettes with creepy dolls all through this trail mm. through the woods. You can you can google it. I I'm not going there, but no thank you. No.
7: The eyes that watch you.
6: Yeah. yeah. Well wrong. Yeah. The um, isn't Gr- Grady Hendrix is married to that chef that you just told me? So, about yeah,
7: he well, Grady Hendrix. And I think this was the first, first time I had heard of him. His wife is Amanda Cohen, who's up for a James Beard Award this year. Oh, she owns yes. Dirt Candy in New York City, and they wrote a cookbook Ooh. together. It was the first graphic novel cookbook. So ah, um, yeah. it's so cool. Oh. It's, it's still out there for sale. And I somehow got a reservation at that restaurant in a couple of Ooh, weeks. Oh, that's so. awesome.
6: I, I know, think she so. just I think they just got a Michelin star or something, no? Yeah, they, they got a Michelin go? star yeah. too. Yes, oh, that's yes, 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 yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're going back right.
7: I am. I'm going back next. Without week, us? Yeah, I'll, without I thought us. you were up, I thought you
6: were coming with. What is happening right now? What <laughs> what is know happening i don't know i'll be skiing or i would be shoving you one seat over it I, I know yeah i know <laughs>
7: well just what well, Je- jeff really wanted to see um jessica chastain in a doll's house in previews okay. so Ooh. that starts then and then we got tickets to um some like it hot so ah,
1: oh can awesome. sure. Ooh, who's yeah. in, her, who's who's in her, some like it hot
7: uh it's, christian um, borrell yeah. I can't remember the rest of their names, but okay. they were, it looks great and it's it's the yeah it's a hot ticket on Broadway. It's gotten right. such
2: great reviews. I'm dying to yeah. see it.
1: Yeah, okay. I yeah. Meg, we gotta go. We gotta yeah. go. Let's
7: go. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean <laughs> Broadway
6: is calling. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gonna... Fire up the F and F bus, man. Yeah. Let's talk Do about it. what's coming up on the podcast, guys. How about yeah.
7: that? Yeah. Um, so we also wanted to highlight some of the upcoming guests. Uh, we're really excited for these interviews coming up. And I think Christy's going to start.
3: Yeah. Um, so Ron and I just got to interview Natasha Lester. We, One of us almost didn't get to because she somehow <laughs> got the Australian time instead of the United States oh. time. Spoiler alert. We live in the United States. So anyway,
4: <laughs> we Natasha we live in EST. Yeah.
3: I nearly had a heart attack. Um, Will had forgotten his lunch, so I happened to not be home. At, it was just a disaster. Oh, but no. anyway, it all worked out. It was fine. She was lovely. Um, it was 12 a.m., like midnight, her time. Midnight, so yeah. wow, was thrilled to get to, you know, have a little later start. Anyway, um, the book... She was
7: lovely, though.
3: She is absolutely magnificent. Um, And every... I mean, you. well, first of all, just that book is just... Yeah, and that cover. Um,
7: And her accent. Oh, oh, I love that show. Come for the
3: accent, stay for the history. I'll just say. uh, That's right.
1: better than Sally Hepworth. That's what... That's my... my, That's our bar. I mean, I don't know that I
3: would say better, but it's different. It's different. It's different. But it's it's just it's lovely. It's just lovely. She's just a very lovely person. She's so interesting. And just the stories that she told about this book and what she learned in her research. And Dior and all the designers and these amazing women that worked for the house of Dior. Like I didn't know about any of that. So it was fascinating.
6: It's
7: good, good.
3: It's awesome.
6: Well, I've got two interviews scheduled coming up with Ron that I'm super pumped about. Um, one we're doing um, early next week, and it's going to air the end of next week. Um, we're talking to Chinese-American author Lauren Kung Jessen about her debut rom-com. It's called Lunar Love. Yeah. Um, it just Great came cover. out on January 10th. It's an adorable cover. Um, she's got blurbs from people like Amy Popple, Abby Jimenez, and Cohen Loegman. So it's like straight up the alley of our readership, I think. Um, It's a cute enemies-to-lovers story, and it's all about uh, a Los Angeles-based Chinese Zodiac matchmaker. So so uh, a young girl inherits her grandmother's matchmaking business, and uh, mayhem ensues, let's say.
1: Oh, I got to read it. It's cute.
6: It's it's cute so far, yeah.
7: It's Um, great how it matches up tradition with modern technology, too.
6: Yeah, it's cool. Right, because there's the Chinese zodiac, the old school stuff, and then there's this app. Um, also, in a real pinch me moment, I think, for both me and for Ron, because um, I'm oh a total God, fan. Yes. A total fangirl, but we're going to talk to Rebecca Mackay about her novel. I have some questions for you. Um, that book comes out February 21st. Her last book was called The Great Believers. I don't know how many of you guys have read that, but it was nominated for both the Pulitzer and the National Book Award. She's a real schlub um yeah uh, and it won the uh, american library association Carnegie medal um that book is a masterpiece it really is i can't say enough good things about it um so i'm super excited to get to read i have some questions for you early and that ron and i get to chat with her coming up um sometime in february that's awesome yeah and then
1: i am reading and we're gonna ron and i are gonna chat with Kristen may chase about a book that's—I mean—a topic that's dear to my heart, since I apparently am on the Elvis beat full time. <laughs> thousand miles, a thousand miles to Graceland, which was just published last week. Great!
7: It's so good too. It's like mother-daughter and and Sorry. trying to fix their issues. Well, but it's still hysterically funny.
2: Road trip,
6: yeah, it's,
2: it's
7: road fun. trip. Oh, cool wigs, nails. You know,
1: hi, oh, nice. awesome. <laughs> <I'm in>.
7: Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I am going to talk about one of the ones I've, I got to read this book early. Um, Jenny Jackson and she wrote Pineapple Street, coming out in March. That's Mary Kay is going to join me for that, and um, got
1: Friday.
7: yep. Uh, next week we're going to no, not next week. No, that's something else. Um, Pineapple. <laughs> it's a debut novel from Jenny, who's actually a longtime VP and executive editor at Alfred uh, Knopf. <laughs> And she's been doing that for years. And now she's just kind of jumped into this. So we can't wait to talk to her about that switching roles. Um, it features uh, Darlie, Sasha, and Georgiana. There are three women who are part of a ridiculously wealthy family that lives in Brooklyn Heights. Uh, it's so funny. It, it's such a great exploration of the haves and have-nots, but it's also a fully relevant look at our, our larger society and people with money and how they look at their relationship to each other and the world in changing times. So it's really funny, and it's really kind of kind of heavy, too. Sounds but great. It's just a great Sounds
4: read. Fantastic. And the
7: other one, oh, my God, this one, I, I, I'm I just about to start reading this one, but I can't wait. Uh, Patty and I are going to interview Jessa Maxwell about this book called The Golden Spoon, which is also coming out in March. Uh, it's uh, the, the tagline is, at last, a baking show with a murder. That's <laughs> awesome. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> just, just we've been waiting for.
7: <laughs> right, just it's we've awesome. been waiting for it. It's a cross between the Great British Baking Show and Clue with a little only murders in the building thrown in. Ooh, uh, we, I can't wait to talk to Jessa about this and find out how she put this all together. Sure. So it's, yeah, all of these. And I feel so popular. I get all these people joining me on the podcast.
1: Awesome. That's
7: <laughs> so <laughs> great.
4: great. So Jessa, that's her debut. And um, we share an editor. So, oh. Oh. Well, I I got the book when I was in New York a couple times ago, and I started reading it on the plane. And I was like, shoop, 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 shoop. Oh. <laughs> "It is, it's really clever and fun." And it's gotten a starred Kirkus, a starred Library Journal. So I, we can't wait to talk to her. Lots the of both other, fun. and the other one we have coming up straight away is when the moon turns blue, That's and. Great by Pamela Terry. And if you remember last year, Pam was on for the debut episode for her first novel, which was The Sweet Taste of Muscadines. Mm -hmm. And so this is her second novel, and it does not read like a sophomore novel. This is such a great small town, Georgia community novel about families. But it all starts when um, there is an ice storm, and a Confederate statue gets torn down
6: oh. and
4: the whole town is trying to figure out what happened, who to blame. And the tagline at the end is one one of my favorite. It says um, something to the effect of when you find out that the people you love, you might not like. Or something Ooh. like that. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's really good. Her, her characterization is astounding. She, you feel like you know everybody in the book by the third chapter. And then Ron and I, of course, are so excited to talk to one wow. of my all-time favorite authors for 25 years now, and that's Elizabeth Berg. Um, and this is called oh, isn't that, that a gorgeous cover? cover? Yeah, really Earth, the Right Place for Love. What and a great title. Elizabeth Berg is the first author that I ever went to a speech or a signing and raised my hand and asked a question. Oh, Oh. wow. 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 It was like 25 (laughs) years ago. I just have been, she's just such a warm hearted. But if you loved the story of Arthur True Love, um, this is about Arthur True Love when he was Arthur Moses and fell in love and was yep. a shy, young man.
7: The oh. prequel. It's
2: the prequel. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome.
7: And anything Elizabeth Bird writes, man, it just, so it just feels like an old friend. So I yeah. love her writing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, I'm excited, Ron, to be joining you to talk to Amita Parikh, who wrote The Circus Train, yes. which that's another really pretty cover, I think. It was published yeah. back in December. This is actually her debut novel, and it was such a great debut. Um, it was a book of the month pick, which, I mean, imagine mm. having that happen with your debut. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah. But it, it's um, it's set largely during World War II, and it has sort of all the glitter and darkness of mid-century circus life right so it's about this family who travels around this circus in europe right as world war ii is kind of approaching but it has these dark edges that grow darker as the shadow of war moves in and then the characters in the circus have to make these impossible decisions and there's a stowaway who's a jewish refugee on the circus train and the um It's just, it's such a good book and it's just, it's an exploration of how we become who we are and how the people who become a part of our lives shape us and how, and the lengths we go to for family and the people who've become our family. It is just, it's so good. And I cannot wait to dig in with her about this
1: book. It's incredible. I'm going to have to- I'm going to have to stop sleeping to read all these books.
6: I know. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah.
7: Yeah. The the circus train was also also the number one library reads pick for December.
6: Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's
1: great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we're sort of segueing into the topic of books we're excited about. Let's talk about adaptations. There are so many great books Mm -hmm. that have made it to the big and small screen recently, or that we know are in the pop pipeline. So, you know, what adaptations are you guys pumped about? You first. Well, you, you know, I this is how you know you got me hooked. I had to sign <laughs> on to Hulu so I could watch uh Karen Slaughter's Will Trent series. Ah
4: yeah. which is um, so good.
1: It's really good and it's it's you know. Karen writes kind of dark, but she is so funny and so witty. And the series really captures that. And, of course, it's so fun for me because I've lived in Atlanta so long to see. Because it's filmed on location here in Atlanta. And it premiered on January 3rd. And it's five episodes in. It's on ABC. But if you get, um, yeah, you might have to sign on to Hulu, which I did last night. <laughs>
6: well, it's not, isn't it on ABC, too, like a regular? It
1: is. Tuesday nights sometimes find me. I don't know what I'm doing,
6: but yeah, it's great that it's, it's also streaming on Hulu, so you can c- catch up. Yeah, you you can it. pick yeah, it up yeah. on either one, Perfect. right? Yeah. yeah, I
4: am really excited for Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh, yeah. you and the whole world, right? I mean, the whole world. <laughs> but, um, when I listen to that audiobook, Christy knows this is I was an evangelist for that audiobook, I was telling everybody I knew. Listen to the audio, and whenever somebody puts it on the page, what audio should I listen to? I'm like, Daisy Jones and the Six. And I think it was one of the really first fantastic, like, um, full cast audio books mm-hmm. that came out. Um, so I actually never read the book. I only listened to it on audio, but I'm excited for it. And um, Elvis Presley's granddaughter, Riley, is Daisy mm-hmm. Jones
6: yeah it looks i can't amazing. wait march 3rd it looks yeah. so yeah. good march not 3rd. that i'm not that i'm <laughs> counting the days but yeah march yeah. 3rd on
4: amazon prime <laughs> on amazon prime Yeah, I yeah. Watch,
7: watch party let's have a watch, yeah. party. Oh,
2: a watch party. i love that exactly yeah. um you know the uh, louise penny's three pines series is also on amazon oh, prime right. I, I know we. I know we've talked about that. I, I binged it um, when it, uh, it I, well, I binged what was available and then I caught up with the rest of the episodes, but the whole first season's there now. And that's that's really good. I think they did a good job capturing the heart. of now, uh, I've watched Vermont the first two and I'm
4: really, I'm really into good.
2: it. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really liked those. And then as far as what's coming, I'm really excited about The Last Thing He Told Me, which is based on the Laura Dave novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Jennifer Garner, who I really like. Yeah. And um, it was—I I liked that book a lot, and I—I I can see exactly how it would be translated to screen. And I'm just excited to see like what their vision is. What they so I think that's it. yeah, I, I'm excited yeah. about it. So that's coming April 14th, and of course, Laura Dave has a background, um, ha, has some background with screenwriting also. Yeah. So I'm—I'm I'm always interested when a novelist with that kind of a background writes a novel, and then the film is, er, it, then the book is adapted. Um, yeah, so that's really, really interesting.
1: May and I listened to that on book tour. It's really good.
6: Last year, yeah. year before, it, yeah, it was great. I, I definitely want to watch it now that we listened. And um, I mean, yeah.
4: Yeah. and we had her on the show. She
2: was yeah, here. she's yeah. fantastic.
6: Yeah.
4: I, I, uh,
3: coming coming wait.
2: april 14th on apple tv
3: I i'm sorry salt is barking and there's just not much that i can do about it from up okay. here so um
2: <laughs> but i just have to say
3: are you there god it's me margaret i mean nice. i cannot on. wait i think the trailer just released like a couple of days ago and i watched it and i was like oh my gosh this is gonna be so great so book your slumber parties ladies i mean we gotta be there judy
6: something popped up in my feed about it a couple of weeks ago and i immediately texted all my girlfriends from high school and i was like uh mark april 28th on your calendar we are definitely going to the movies to so see the judy I mean, blue movie
7: <laughs>
6: oh. yeah i have to see if
1: i can get molly to go oh, oh yeah that'd be perfect
7: it's a great, great idea. So if anybody's been hearing me yap for the last oh, year <laughs> plus, I am so excited and scared because I don't know what they're going to do with it for the upcoming Apple TV series, Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. So um, nice it's it. Bonnie Garmus's blockbuster just sh- is showing no sign of slowing down on the. It on was the number one, one on the New York Times. Again, again,
1: yes. Just so again. Great
7: for weeks and weeks and weeks but it's such a, such an original and great story and it yeah. looks like there was, I saw some early production stills and it just really looks like they're taking great care for, with each character, if you go to IMDb, you can look at all the characters' faces. And, of course, Brie Larson is the executive producer, and she stars as uh, Elizabeth Zott. And the rest of the cast is kind of cool, too. It's Beau Bridges and uh, Lewis Pullman, who's actually the son of Bill Pullman. And oh, he was wow. in a movie last year that I don't think of, maybe maybe you saw it, Top Gun Maverick.
2: <laughs> oh yeah he played
4: he played yeah. um he played the son of of his best friend of, of-
7: yeah yep, yep. but it's son. um it, it's it's gonna be ex- it's gonna be great there's no release date yet but it's coming and i will be front row oh that's awesome
6: Awesome. All right, Meg, oh. take us. Take us. Speaking of um, Top Gun, okay, Meg,
1: take us home.
6: <laughs> well, there's a few that are out already that I wondered if anyone's seen. To, has anyone gone to see um, a man called Otto? Not
1: yet. No, but I Not want yet. to. I want yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll watch anything Tom Hanks is in. Yeah, I know.
6: Film. I'm just so curious because I mean, uh, I think it's pronounced Uva, right? That's how that you Uwe? say the original. So. A man called yeah. Uva, and then they changed it. So the whole and and, been and there
4: is a movie called, there is a TV show called The Man Called yes. Me, because I clicked on it last night, thinking, telling yeah. Pat, "Oh, this is Tom Hanks." That popped up, and I was like, yeah. "This isn't it." <laughs> no, that yeah.
6: is just, that's, that's the Swedish. original Swedish one, but the, now yeah. we have the Americanized one with Tom Hanks. I don't know. I'm going to see it, but it is um, out in the theaters right now, and I think it'll eventually stream on Netflix. Um, another one. Have you guys? Has anyone watched Fleischerman is in trouble? Not yet. No, Not yet. I can't believe I haven't. So that that <laughs> I haven't read the book, but I was always intrigued by it. It's a novel that was written by a woman named Taffy Brodesser Ackner. and um, it came out on Hulu in November, and it's got Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes. Dave and I watched oh, nice. the first one the other night, and it's good. It'll suck you right in. Um, Wait, aren't they married?
4: Jesse and Claire Danes? Are they married? Am I making yeah. real life?
6: Yeah. okay moving on in case i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) and one other one is another former guest from our show and napolitano her book dear edward is now out um uh or coming out actually coming out this friday i think it's on apple tv so dave and i just watched the um trailer um on apple tv last night uh so it's got connie Britton. And it's the producers of Friday Night Lights, and I it looks so good, right? Taylor Schilling is the star. It's a star. Great book.
4: Yeah, Friday Night um, Lights. Looks- there's never been a better show. Sorry, I know.
6: Oh, <laughs> uh, Coach, I got a soft spot for Coach. Coach.
4: Clear eyes, full
3: heart, can't lose. Patty and lose. I will talk about Reagan's on a different show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I'll join you for that conversation. It's going to be like okay. a 30 to
3: 45 minute like segue yeah. and I feel like totally. probably- <laughs> it'll be
6: a
4: show dedicated to Riggins. But yeah. Yeah.
6: <laughs> well, dear Edward, it looks super sad. So it's like, make sure the tissues are ready because it looks like yeah. a super duper tear jerker, but um, it looks amazing. I think that covers us, right? I mean, I know the no, nightgale we have the numb
4: Isn't it coming? That not that coming? Well, I
6: don't it keeps getting pushed, so I don't know mm-hmm. why, but yeah. it I I how could it not be epic? It's got the both the fanning sisters, yeah. Dakota and L fanning are in it. Um right. So I don't know if we have a release date yet, but I don't I mean, think so. I know they've be, been filming, but yeah. I
1: don't know. All right, we're gonna we'll we'll keep you guys uh updated as we find out more. Yes. Yeah. But you know, tonight that's it for us. I mean, I'm are you guys hungry. Phew. Hungry? Yeah, money for, yes. <laughs> for dinner. I'm ready. Dinner can wait, but it's after eight. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I> love- <laughs> dinner can only wait until eight. <laughs>
2: yeah, fair.
1: Dinner can wait. Okay, it's after eight. All right, everybody. That is us. That's us. <laughs> That's it for us. <laughs> Tune in. I've only had one glass of wine. Of course, it's a very generous pour. <laughs> Tune in next Wednesday when we'll be joined by one of my all-time favorite authors. I'm a huge fan of Eleanor Lippman to talk, talk about her fabulous new novel, *Misdemeanor*. And then we'll have Nina de Gramont, who will join us on the after show to feature The Christie Affair, which I'm also a big Agatha Christie fan, uh, just out in paperback. So everybody have a great night. Good night, y'all. Good night, good night everybody. Good
7: night, hey, good night everybody.
1: Thank you for tuning in.
0: You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.
7: Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.